Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American conversations about all things, including the topics you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm your host, Hula Ramos, and on today's show, we'll be chatting with Mr. Lane Nishikawa. Lane is a Japanese-American actor, filmmaker, playwright, and performance artist. He's widely known for a series of one-man shows, including Life in the Fast Lane and I'm on a Mission from Buddha and many others. In 2005, he directed the independent feature film Only the Brave and has written and directed two short films about World War II veterans called Forgotten Valor and When We Were Warriors. His work often deals with Asian American history and identity issues, and I'm so excited to have him on the on the show today. Please welcome Lane Nishikawa. How are you doing today, Lane? I'm doing great, Hula. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited to speak to you because, um, you know, with a lot of people, a lot of young folks who are wanting to get into the business, so to speak, they are looking up to you, especially if they're Asian American, they're looking up to actors and directors and filmmakers just like you. And so I want to get your story out there. Let's start off with your, just from the very beginning, share with us your life growing up as what they say, sense, did I say it right? Sansei? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Sansei, right. That's third generation. Yes, which is Japanese for third generation American. Um, and share with us your story. Well, you know, um, I'm originally from Hawaii, and uh, I grew up in San Francisco, went, did all my schooling there, all the way up till uh, uh, San Francisco State University. And uh, while I was there, I had heard of the Asian American Theater Company. Um, that was in San Francisco. Um, and I got involved because I was interested in writing at first. But after, oh, I don't know, going to a few shows, you know, just being around the theater and meeting all the theater people, they encouraged me to audition because I was at the time when I first started out, I was uh, a free verse poet, as we used to call them back in the day. You know, it was a uh, spoken word. And I had done a lot of uh, uh, performances around the Bay Area and they encouraged me to audition. So I did and I got cast. And from that point on, um, I just fell in love with theater. Um, after doing a number of uh, plays as an actor, um, and then I, I got up to being a director. Uh, my first play I directed was Yellow Fever. Then I wrote uh, my first one-man show called Life in the Fast Lane. And uh, I started with one-man shows because I had already been doing a lot of performance characters in my in my free verse poetry and they, it kind of, uh, you know, became my first stage play, my first one man show. And I ended up touring it around the country the next year. And that was back in the early eighties. And we probably went to 19 cities across the country, a lot of universities, a lot of uh, the Asian American theaters. There were very few at the time. And then, uh, some different performance houses. And, uh, that's what started me on, uh, this whole uh, kind of, uh, you know, because when you're an Asian actor, it's hard to get cast. And so right. I felt it was a way for me to keep busy and just get out there and perform and better myself as a performer. And so I ended up doing three one-man shows and toured all around the country. I'm on a mission from Buddha, ended up uh, getting selected for a national PBS broadcast. 
and we shot it over at KQED Studio Television Studios in the Bay Area. And from that point on, um, uh, you know, because it was broadcast around the country, uh, when we toured, a lot of people uh, brought me in. They knew who I was. And so uh, I really kind of found a niche that way. And uh, the plays that I did, theater I did, led me to film. That's awesome. That's incredible. So you had mentioned earlier, you know, doing all of this stuff in the 80s. It was pretty Asian theater wasn't well known or there wasn't very many. I mean, did you find it very difficult back then? How difficult was it for you? Was you were you discouraged at all? Well, you know, um, as I was doing theater, uh, you know, you pick up agents, you go to L.A., you do a lot of auditioning. And I got cast in a few things, but a lot of the roles were very small. Um, you know, some of them were a little demeaning, so I would pass on those, you know. Um, but, but see, I was lucky enough that I had another outlet. I had theater. And so I focused right. on theater and uh, just kept on going. How was theater different for you? What, how did it allow you to grow as an actor versus wanting to do films or commercials or stuff like that? Well, it's not that I didn't want to. <laughs> there just wasn't, <laughs> a lot of, you know, there just wasn't a lot out there, you know. And, right. um, you know, I would get discouraged here and there. Um, I remember going for an audition and I remember the guy who got it. But I remember when I went to the audition they said to me, you're a little too tall and your voice is too low. And I couldn't believe it. And I just walked out. I went, okay, so you're looking for an Asian guy that's shorter than me and has a higher voice. Well, that's not going to work. And so, but as far as with theater is, um, you know, you have a little more control of your destiny. At least I did because I wrote plays. I was a writer, so I could create work. And I would, uh, my one-man shows, of course, I toured, but then I started to do multiple character plays. By then I had uh, uh, performed at a lot of uh, ho uh, performance houses like Scottsdale Center for the Arts, uh, Teatro Campesino. Uh, I performed at, you know, Maui's uh, uh, Center for the Performing Arts out there. Uh, you know, and they'll bring in and help you develop work. And so that's what I did with a number of other plays. Uh, I'd be in residency at different uh, performing houses or theater companies. And um, that was a way for me to grow grow as a writer. And uh, most of the time I directed those pieces and produced them too. That's incredible. That's great. That I mean, just seeing the persistence and in, in you not wanting, you know, to take those demeaning opportunities, because it sounds like, you know, just hearing your story, you would get, almost they would want to try to stereotype you or you know what is the the term i guess um yeah to try to yeah. typecast you well you know what what i write about is you know our experience here in america when i say our as asian americans all the stories i write about have some kind of historical or social value i try to make audiences understand who we are. I try right. to educate them because a lot of racism and prejudice is fueled by ignorance and fear. Correct. And so I try to do that with my work and uh, 
just trying to change the opinion that America, America has of Asian Americans. I mean, right now you got all this anti-Asian violence going on. Well, you know, that's not new. This has been going on since our grandparents and great-grandparents immigrated here. And so right. the work I tried to do was to try to, to change that image. I wanted to give positive images. I wanted our you know, women to be strong, our men to be strong. Um, and so that's what I tried to do with the work that I create. And so as far as the media goes, you know, they're going to go with what sells. Right. And um, right. a lot of times what sells isn't, doesn't, isn't the greatest image of how we're portrayed. Now, it's gotten better. You know, they've got, there's some better films out there, better television shows with characters that are Asian. Like right now, Tamlin in The Good Doctor. I mean, there are better roles out there. But back in the 80s, 90s, you know, it was, there wasn't a whole lot. Absolutely. No, I, I was, that's actually was going to be my next question because nowadays you have shows like Fresh Off the Boat that was targeting you, the Asian American community. And you have, because of, as everybody talks about, crazy rich Asians, uh, nowadays it seems like a lot more uh, sensitivity, I guess, is the right word. I'm, I'm not sure uh, as far as Asian American roles are concerned are out there they're starting to become a little bit more abundant i guess yeah there's a little bit more but i think also it depends on who who's uh, involved in the creative process who's doing the writing who's doing the producing you know that, that, that's something we need more of is asian american producers and uh, and writers and directors that can help shape the the uh, piece that's out there now there were some good images that were out there in the 70s 80s you know you had bruce lee you know right. you had uh pat morita the karate kid george takei star trek you did have right some positive role models out there but there are very few 100 no i agree with you on that i grew up in the 70 in the 70s watching all those shows and i would always try to identify with certain people and i couldn't because they weren't really out there and no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and speaking of that, when you were growing up, were you like, I want to be an actor. This is what I want to do. Or were you discouraged being you know, Asian American? Did your parents look at you and go, no, you shouldn't go that route? How did that you know, influence to what you became today? Well, um, I'll tell you, my father was um, a, financial, a financial guy. He was uh, head of finance for a, a company uh, uh, down here in San Diego. He moved down here. My mom was a beautician. And okay. I could do no wrong in her eyes. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but my dad, you know, he always would say, you know, uh, when are you going to find a real job? You know, um, but I think when he saw one of my first plays, uh, it, he really turned around. He could really see something that, that I was doing. And it was all the way, I mean, years later, years of working, right? When right. I finally was able to produce a feature-length movie, and I'm sharing the, the, uh, rough, the rough cuts with him, and he's right. looking at me going, you did this? Are you kidding me? He couldn't believe it, you know? And so it takes time. There's a journey that you go through. And for me, 
it was years and years of working in theater and then uh, turning one of my scripts into a short film, doing a couple short films that set me up to do Only the Brave, which is a feature-length film about the 100th 442nd Regiment, the Japanese-Americans who fought for America in the U.S. Army during World War II. They fought in Italy, in France, and Germany. And my dad and seven of my uncles were in those units. And so I was able to do a film based on their story. And over the years, I've met many, many, many veterans who shared their stories with me. So the writing of that script, it was so fluid and easy when you're when you're a writer it just it all just kind of came out and uh you know i'm really proud that we were able to do this film and uh, be able to share it with audiences and uh, we couldn't get a theatrical distributor because you know again it's what sells it's what what distributors are going to say this is worth it for them to put into theaters so uh, back then, I had a very good consultant who said, well, if you can't get it on the big screen, get it ready for the small screen, which I did. And after more years of touring and struggling and, and getting it out there, we finally got it on Showtime. So uh, it takes time. Uh, but I, but as far as for my dad, you know, it was really great sitting in the living room with him and showing him the rough cuts as I'm getting ready to go back up to L.A. to to do another edit. And he was just watching the, you know, the outtakes and just couldn't believe it. So it was very cool. That, you know, that right there, that moment gave me chills because it reminded me of myself growing up being Filipino American. And my, my dad was always proud of me. It's always, I don't know if it's just, maybe I'm stereotyping, but when it comes to males trying to, we always try to impress our our fathers, because it seems like our moms love us no matter what. We can't do anything wrong. But our our fathers, on the other hand, they're always very stoic, and you have to impress them. And my dad was very similar, sounds like it, to your father, where if I did anything as far as schoolwork, he was proud if I got A's. But if I did anything creative, he was like, really? Like, why are you even going that route? And finally, when I got into radio, he's like, dude, get a real career. Why are you going into radio? And then as I started getting some sort of notoriety, he was like, oh, wait a minute. That's my kid. And he would tell people, oh, did you hear my kid? He's on the radio. Um, and so that <laughs> I can I, that that moment you shared with me right there about creating only the brave just re- brought me back to that moment when I shared it with my father. So I can totally relate to to what you're talking about. And that also led you to two short films uh, continuing with World War II veterans, uh, Forgotten Valor and When We Were Warriors. Tell me a, a little bit about those. Yeah, actually, it's the opposite. I did the two shorts oh. first. Yeah. Okay. See, what happened was I had written a play called The Gate of Heaven, and it was um, originally workshopped in the Bay Area and was picked up by the Old Globe Theater here in San Diego. Oh, and wow. So, we did it at the Old Globe, and their goal was to get it to New York. Um, the the Gate of Heaven is is about the story of a five twenty second uh, a, a Japanese American soldier in the five twenty second artillery unit unit of the four four two. This is when they were pushing into Germany, and so in April of forty five they came upon the Dachau concentration camp and it's based on when they got to the camp, the forward uh, infantry soldiers that protect the artillery 
they uh, shut the locks off the gate and let all the Jewish uh, prisoners out. So it's based on that loosely. But then what happens is a Jewish man who this Japanese man kind of kind of carries out of the prison because he's so you know emaciated and then gives him some water and but they got to push on you know he kind of helps them as much as he can but 10 years later the jewish man has immigrated to the u.s and he has enlisted in the u.s army and he's become a doctor so he then now traces this japanese man down trying to find him to thank him for saving his life and so the play follows them for the next 50 years, how they live this friendship of chance. So that play, uh, after the old globe, we were on a kind of a, oh, kind of a stepladder to New York, per se. We went to the Annenberg in Philly, Philadelphia, and then wow. Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. And then the next step was going to be New York. but. Um, there was a tragedy that happened with the producers that I can't go into and it put the whole project on hold. So while I was in DC though, um, a lot of people came to see it. And one woman said, Hey, do you know about the civil liberties public education fund? You ever think about turning this play into a, you know, a short film for education? And I said, right. really? So I wrote a grant, got it. And I worked with the Gopher broke, national education um, organization out of Los Angeles. And we did a short film. And that was the first one that was called When We Were Warriors based on the gate of heaven. And then I got a, a couple years later, I really enjoyed that process. So I wrote another grant to the California Civil Liberties Public Education Program. We got that grant and I did Forgotten Valor, another short. First one was 37 minutes. Next one was 43 minutes. They're basically geared for education, you know, right. trying to keep them for a classroom length. And uh, Forgotten Valor is about the, uh, the upgrade to the Medal of Honor that 20 Japanese Americans received in 2000. And the reason is, you know, they had uh, 68 DSCs, Distinguished Service Crosses, but the army felt that back in 1943, 44, and 45, that there was so much racism and prejudice back then, they didn't get reviewed correctly, and they should have been Medal of Honor recipients. So 20 of them were upgraded. So the, the film is about a man being upgraded, but he lives with the ghosts, you know, and he doesn't want to be in the limelight. So he kind of disappears, and his family's worried about him. So the veterans track him down and uh, make sure he's okay. So that's what Forgotten Valor is about. So those two shorter projects, you know, kind of prepared me to do only The Brave, which is feature length, very big project. Uh, we took, took me uh, almost two years to raise the funds, but um, we were one of three films that were accepted. Back then, Universal Studios had a independent film program. We were one of three films that was picked. So what that meant was that you could shoot in the back lot and um, you would not be charged their daily rental. The daily oh, rental wow. at Universal Studios, just to be there, 
is twenty five thousand uh-huh. dollars a day. And so, oh my gosh! So out of our twenty one shooting days, ten were at Universal Studios, and they provided us a lot. I mean, a lot of equipment, personnel. Um, for example, the opening scene, we take a French village based on Briere's in France. When we got to the set, which is the old European town, back lot of Universal Studios, they had already painted signage from Briere's in 1943. They had already researched it, painted it. They had de-stressed, you know, stressed the buildings out so that they looked like they were bombed out. They brought in different things that they could set on fire. I mean, it was just amazing what they did to help us shoot. And then I was worried, you know, like, what is it going to cost me at the end of those those 10 days, you know? <laughs> but, they, right. but, my, uh, but the liaison, the Universal Studio liaison said, don't worry, we're here to help you. Don't worry. Because she, she knew what kind of budget I had, you know? Um, right. So at the end of the day, uh, those 10 days cost me $27,000. And I know that that was mainly for personnel, you know? Um, and... Uh, it helped our production tremendously. Well, yeah, you're on Showtime now. Yeah, well, only the Brave got on Showtime. Uh, it was uh, it was on for I don't know two 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 and a half years from uh, I think it was twenty I want to say twenty twelve thirteen fourteen something like that. You know. Okay. And then I don't know if they're going to revisit it and bring it back on, but. Uh, yeah, we did get it on uh, for for a certain period of time, so that was really great. That's amazing. And now, what's the future bring for Lane? What I, I hear well, you're doing some documentaries coming up. Yeah, well, you know, after only the brave, um, I went through a lot in trying to distribute that film. I probably spent uh, from the time we first released it around 2007 until we got a distributor in 2009, until we were on Showtime 2012. You know, you're talking seven, eight years working on a project. And uh, that that doesn't even include the time it took to raise the money or shoot and edit the film. I mean, that's just afterwards. So uh, being I moved here to San Diego because my, uh, my parents got ill and I had to take care of them and lost them one by one. So I've been in San Diego now since around 2005. So I've been here okay. a while, and I got to know the Japanese-American community here. Um, the JCL, the Japanese-American Citizens League, really welcomed me in and uh, asked me to uh, you know, be on their advisory board and eventually on their board. And I got involved with what they do. And um, uh, two things that happened, because uh, this is back around 20... I think 2012 or so that they uh, asked me to join, 2010, right in that range, somewhere around there. And then so um, one of the things I did was kind of bring back their uh, yearly uh, gala. So we every year now we have a gala to kind of uh, uh, celebrate, uh, you know, Asian Americans in San Diego. We give out scholarships to the youth. And um, in uh, 2015, which was the first one, we decided to do a short uh, uh, documentary on the few remaining Japanese-American veterans of World War II, the local guys here in San Diego. So uh, we shot a short film. 
and we were able to pre present a, a, a portion of it uh, at the gala. And uh, I brought in uh, David Ono uh, from L.A. He's the ABC News anchor. I brought him in to interview all the veterans and their families and, uh, you know, descendants. And uh, I just wanted them to feel, you know, that this is special. And so therefore they were right. all going, oh, my God, David Ono's <laughs> going to interview us. This is awesome, you know. So it was really cool. It was a, it was a great project. And, uh, you know, of all those veterans that uh, were involved and we tried to get a hold of back then, there's only one left. And so uh, I was glad we did it wow. and got to share it with the community. And uh, that kind of started me on uh, documentaries. And so after that one, um, I decided uh, I wanted to do uh, something on the internment because that was around 2016, 17, you know, I kind of felt that our politicians in the country had forgotten about the fight for redress that happened, the mm -hmm. apology that Congress gave to Japanese Americans for putting them into the camps. And so I got a grant from the National Park Service Japanese American Confinement Sites Program to do a feature documentary. That was in 2017. So we set out, we went to seven cities, we visited two internment camps. I interviewed about 40, 45 different people a lot of leaders in the Japanese American community, um, a lot of people who are involved in the redress and reparations movement. And so we were able to produce our lost years. It's a feature length documentary um, that examines the internment, but it also examines that 10 year fight for an apology. And then also kind of brings it up to date to what's going on today. So, that documentary, I got it, had it finished in 2019, and the end of 2019, we're taking it on a 25-city tour across the country because I had right. done that with only the Brave. I did 25 cities. So uh, in 2020, uh, early February, no, in, in February, end of February, we had done about eight cities by then, and then COVID hit. So I had right. to postpone 18 cities. So been a little dormant last year, and then this year, because of the rise of hate and violence against Asians, I decided, you know, we got let's 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 show the movie and let's have virtual screenings and then let's have discussions on stop AAPI hate immediately after to, to so that the film kind of uh, kind of uh, gives audiences a jumping off point, you know, that hey, hate against Asians started a long time ago. And let's talk about how it's affecting us today. And so we've done a couple of cities now. It's been very, very successful um, because not just Japanese Americans, you know, are are tuning in. You got different Asian American community uh, folks and leaders, uh, Caucasian communities, Black Americans. Everybody's logging on, right? Right. So right. it's really kind of cool how it's how it's. Uh, it's happening. And so we, we just started it. We did a couple cities and uh, we're going to continue to do that uh, until we can start doing live events again. No, that's incredible. I, I, I love that. And if I wanted to see this screening or if I wanted to see the film, how do you have, are you on social media that I can follow or how can I get informed about all of this? 
Yeah, I just uh, we just put together a new website, and it's uh, my production company's name, WestRiverProductions.com. And uh, we'll have listings of all the, the cities uh, that we're uh, going to be holding virtual screenings or going to eventually. I just met with people in Vegas. So we're talking about doing a live event there because they're opening up. I met with people in Phoenix, the same thing. They're starting to open up. So I'd say in the next uh, two to three months, we'll be having some live screenings, but also we're going to do some virtual ones, you know, with people that, you know, still want to uh, be careful, which is fine, you know. Right. But I really think that out of this, you know, we have to talk about how do we protect our elderly? How do we protect our women? How do we protect our young people? You know, because I agree. they're the targets. They're, they're the targets of, of, of these, of, you know, the people that, again, are so ignorant and fearful of who we are, you know, or there, or there, th- there's a real false pretense in terms of who we are. And so we gotta, we gotta change this, you know? So, I agree. Um, yeah. I so think that's it's perfect timing right now with with yeah. this coming out. I, I love yeah. this. And remind everybody uh, who's listening right now one more time that website. Yes, West River Productions. But, you know, this is all leading up to the next film project I'm doing, which is Our League of Dreams, which is the story of the 90-plus year history of the JCL, the Japanese American Citizens League. And this is an example of an organization who's been fighting you know, anti-Asian uh, sentiment since 1929. And wow. so we're going to not just show their history, but we're also going to show and, and talk about what is happening right now, this very minute. And so uh, it's going to be a very exciting uh, program. And, uh, and since we're in, uh, we're in, are we broadcasting out of San Diego? Is that true? Yes. Yes, correct. I got to give a couple shout outs here. San Diego Gas and Electric just donated uh, $25,000 to the film. And also Kaiser Permanente and Asian Americans for Advancing Justice just gave our chapter, San Diego Chapter JCL, a grant to do a short um, documentary on Stop AAPI Hate. And this is going to be local. So we just got the word on it. I'm really excited about this. The, the, the project is going to be called AAPI United because I feel we have to have a united voice. We have to look at all the communities, not just Japanese American, all mm-hmm. communities. And that's, see, that's the thing I give JCL credit for. They're a Japanese American Citizens League, but they fight to protect the rights of everyone, not just Japanese Americans, not just Asian Americans, everyone. That's incredible. I love that. And hopefully we will be able to get you back on here, Asian Voices Radio Podcast, and talk more about the new projects that are coming up with all these these amazing things that you have going on. Sounds good. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Lane, for being on the show today. We appreciate you. One more time, where can people find you and, and get updated information, that website? Yes, West River Productions. 
Perfect. We'll have that on our uh, website as well. And to learn more about today's show, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. Also, if you have any suggestions for future topics, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe to us as well on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. We'd like to thank you for listening. And please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Take care until next time, everyone.